They were called Sacred Suppers. It was a program started by the Reverend Nancy Childress at Mount Olivet United Methodist Church in Arlington when I was a teenager. It was a collection of four families, each with children, who agreed to cook one dinner a week for each other. For example, Monday was my family's day, so my mother would prepare a dinner for four families, usually something like lasagna, enchilada, or casserole, something I could put in the oven when I got home from school, so it would be hot and ready for the families when they stopped by on their way home from work. The dinners always included a vegetable or a salad and a dessert of some kind. The three other families would stop by and pick up their food. If there was time, some gossip would be shared, some checking in to see how things were going. Nothing groundbreaking, but still meaningful. On Tuesday, one of the other families would prepare dinner. Wednesday and Thursday, a different family. And like that, our families provided home-cooked dinners four nights a week. It wasn't perfect. I may have forgotten to turn on the oven once or twice, resulting in my father rushing to Kentucky Fried Chicken before anyone showed up to our house. One family would occasionally combine various meats with the sauce of unknown providence in what appeared to my family as a brazen attempt to empty out a refrigerator <laughs> that may have led to a call to Domino's. But by and large, the program was a success. It went on for years. And while the food was important, providing healthy alternatives to fast food is important, it was really the connection that Sacred Suppers fostered between the families that was so nourishing. For years, we would see at least one member of each other's families every Monday. They would come into our house. We would go into their house Monday through Thursday for years. Eventually, as the kids left for college, the supper stopped, but the connections made lasted. In our gospel passage for today, we find two disciples heading to Emmaus from Jerusalem on that first Easter day. They are distraught, traumatized. They had so much hope, and they had watched that hope be brutally murdered on a cross. And now the body was missing, and they were hearing strange reports of angels, strange reports that Jesus, who they had trusted and followed, was alive. Why were they going to Emmaus? We know from the end of the story that the other disciples and followers remained in Jerusalem. Was it all too much? The death? The trauma? Had their hope been so thoroughly killed on the cross that nothing could revive it? Not even angels? Did they just have to get away? To flee from it all? To hide? Was it all just too much to take? Were they so wrapped up in grief and loss that the possibility that something good had happened was too painful, and so they just had to flee. Is that why they couldn't recognize Jesus? We don't know. We can only use our imagination. And while they are walking and talking about all that has happened, Jesus comes near and walks with them. He asks them questions, and then he starts teaching them. It's a wonderful scene as they walk those seven miles, talking and learning. Then they come to Emmaus. Jesus, who they still don't recognize, continues walking, but they invite him into dinner. And it is there, at dinner, around a table that they finally recognize who Jesus is, with the breaking of bread. A realization that sends them rushing back to Jerusalem, back to the place that they were escaping from just hours before. Eager to tell others the great news that they had heard before, 
but were unable to accept. It was at the table. One way to understand the story is that it was at the table that they were finally able to understand who Jesus was. The interpretation goes that the disciples were walking when Jesus makes the first move, coming to them. Us Methodists call this providian grace, and we believe that Jesus does this for each and every one of us, comes to us first. In our grief and in our pain, and in our sin and in our brokenness, Jesus finds us. Then through the study of Scripture, which they did while walking with Jesus, we come to understand Jesus a little better. We do this by attending church, joining small groups, going to Bible studies, developing a scriptural basis and understanding for the faith that we initially received. But then we must go further. This is still not enough. We need the sacraments, baptism, communion. And it is there that we finally understand who Jesus is. It isn't until we come to the table and have an encounter with the real presence of Jesus that our conversion is complete. And so the Emmaus story becomes a paradigm of Christian conversion. And there is nothing wrong with this interpretation. There is beauty and power in it. But one thing that I love so much about Scripture is the many ways that it can speak to us, reaching across time and finding surprising relevance as it echoes to our time. The disciples had come to Jerusalem in a moment of triumph. We have to remember that when they are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, they had only just entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday a week before. It was a moment of celebration and hope. Finally, the Messiah was here. Change was coming. But then a few days later, betrayal, execution, the disciples scatter and hide. Are they next? They lock themselves in dark rooms, afraid. A movement united around one man is now scattered into small groups of individuals who are scared and confused, who don't know what happened, who don't know who to trust, and who don't know what to believe as everything they thought they knew has been upended. This is the state of mind in these disciples as they walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. In this reading, Jesus meets them in their pain and confusion, journeys with them, and at the table in the breaking of the bread, they start to heal. How many meals must they have shared with Jesus during their time together? The Last Supper is an important antecedent, but we know that Jesus loved a good meal. He went to a lot of them, so many, in fact, that some people accused him of being a drunk. How many times must they have finished a long day around a similar table, telling stories, relaxing, laughing, simply enjoying each other's company. I think that when they gathered around that table in Emmaus, and that when the bread was broken, Jesus was assuring them, letting them know that everything was going to be okay. It may seem like the world is falling apart, that everything we thought we knew was wrong, that there is much out in the world to be afraid of. There are many reasons to hide and re retreat, but look, we can still gather around a table and break bread. We can still tell stories. We can still take a moment to relax, to let our cares go. We can still laugh. We can still simply enjoy being with another. There is so much healing that occurs around a table. There are connections made there that are not made elsewhere. Connections that guide us and sustain us. Friendships made and strengthened around a table. While my family may not have technically gathered around one table, 
with those other four families when we shared sacred suppers. We still saw each other regularly. We let others into our lives and into our homes, and then we all sat down and ate the same food. It was as if our family table was extended across Arlington, joining three other tables, four nights a week for years. Those connections, made 30 years ago, are still vital and life-giving. When my mother died, the first person my sister and I thought of to speak at her funeral was one of the women who participated in this group, who didn't hesitate and flew in from Santa Fe with less than a week's notice. A daughter from one family married a son from another family. They live in North Carolina and drove up for the day for both my mother and my father's funeral. Another father from this group sat with me and my sister in my dad's room, reminiscing about three hours before he passed away. And I will note that this man has politics I absolutely abhor. He started an organization that advocates for policies that I will do everything I can to defeat. And before retiring, he would regularly appear on TV shows that I can't watch to advocate for these policies. But our shared table was stronger than these political divisions. I certainly didn't care about them as we sat and talked about youth plays and mission trips, about celebratory dinners he remembered my parents hosting, and as we laughed about the mystery meats he occasionally tried to foist upon my family at sacred suppers. When the world is falling apart, it is often at the table where we can find our bearings and find our strength. We need to get back to the table, to the simplicity of eating together, the simplicity of getting together with others and sharing and laughing. The pandemic forced us to separate and to isolate. Our individual losses and traumas isolate us. The internet tries to separate us and isolate us using algorithms to categorize us and then show us only what it thinks we want to see. The world wants to separate and isolate us, categorizing us based on political party, stance on X or Y issue, by denomination, by class, by race, by anything that can be used to divide one group against another. And then it convinces us that we can't associate with anyone on the other side, that they are so unlike us, so wrong that it borders on evil. As we seek to heal the pains we have in our communities, the anger that we have in our country, the grief and loss that we have in ourselves, we need to come back to the table. We need the simplicity of simply sharing a meal with someone, or in a group. We need the awkward small talk as we, come, as we gradually get to know each other. We need to hear other people's stories and be surprised in ways they mirror our own. We need the simple joy that comes from eating something delicious and to share that joy with others as we look across the table, looking for confirmation that yes, this is really that good, and finding that confirmation in a nod and a laugh. We need to come back to the table. It was at the table, in the breaking of the bread, that the disciples were finally able to accept the good news of Jesus' resurrection. They had been told he was alive, but they were leaving the place where he was said to be. They didn't believe it. It wasn't real until they came to the table. That is where they encountered the risen Christ, and that is where we can find him as well. Either the table for the Lord's Supper, at a friend's house, in the fellowship hall, or even at McDonald's, any table where we gather to share and connect with others, where we say no to all the forces trying to isolate and separate us, 
where we let another into our lives. That is where we can find the risen Christ. That is our Emmaus. We need to come back to the table. Amen.